Martin banks it off. Sutter is up with it there. Right around in front. Live in the entertainment capital of the world. Leading goal scorer on the team. Drew one in front. It's the TC Martin Show. A tie game on the power play. Hodgson was at the front of the net. They are even. It's time to get your daily prescription from the doctor. A power play goal by the captain. T.C. Martin. It's brushed on back by Richard Bartzell. Right up front. Younger fed inside of the net. Score! Giroux! The doctor is now in. And welcome in T.C. Martin Show, 1400 AM. Of course, you can also check it out, tcmartinshow.com. Get all the podcasts from the shows, pictures, stories, blogs, all sorts of good stuff up there. T.C. works very hard on that. That's why he's taking a little R&R right now, wrapping it up in Sacktown uh, with the big man, Bill Cartwright. So T.C. will be back tomorrow. Frank Harness sitting in here with him with, of course, the one, the only, the man, the myth, the legend, the earthquake behind the board once again. Quake, always good to see you. Always good to see you. And, uh, you know, I know it's Terrible Tuesday, so I thought rather than start out with the terribleness of it, because there's enough terrible news around right now, let's start it off with a positive Tuesday note. A good friend of mine, this gentleman uh, does an excellent job covering hockey with the NHL, working for the Blackhawks now. Uh, Got to meet him when he was down here with uh, the Vegas Golden Knights. Also a big tennis fan and uh, knows his tennis very well as well, and uh, maybe sneaking a little bit of stuff about the U.S. Open, which is coming up. Mike good friend mr nick gizmonde joining us nick thanks for making time how you doing my friend what's going on frankers i miss you guys uh i'm doing great i think i'm hanging in there a little bit of a lull right now uh for me it was it was weird it was it was all that time off and then it was ramped back up with tennis and then right back into hockey and now obviously uh you know the blackhawks are uh, are off until uh, next season so now i'm back in a lull again i feel like a, i feel like a kid i went from like uh like fall break to like spring break, and now I feel like I'm on summer vacation. So, <laughs> well, it, it, at least you have had. Uh, you, it has been advantageous for, for you in 2020 that you've had some highs on this roller coaster because not everybody has this year. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I truthfully understand how 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 well lucky I've been, and I know it's it's been a tough it's been tough out there. Listen, it's um, and even now, you know, you 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 go into this lull again and. Folks that are in the entertainment business, they you know you you know well you 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 sort of bounce around a little bit and you you relish in the moments when you do have opportunities and you do have you know things that you can broadcast and talk about. But it um, yeah, I think it's I think it's a weird time for uh, for obviously for everybody. I have so many friends that are uh, not only in the entertainment business but also just you know in other uh, businesses, restaurants, small businesses, shops, etc. Um, just all over the United States, and it's just, it's, you feel, I feel bad, and, um, you know, I, I really hope that, you know, we all make a recovery here sooner, much, much sooner than later. All right, Nick, well, I definitely want to talk some hockey with you, but before we get to that, you know, one of the things that a lot of people are talking about are the sports, and particularly the NHL, the NBA, the WNBA is also doing it, I know, with the bubble talking. What's it like being in a bubble, and what are these guys doing with all their off time and downtime, and are they going to go stir-crazy at a certain point, or what's going to happen? Well, you actually have a little, little bit of insight into that, because during World Team Tennis this year, and I watched a bunch of that, and you did a phenomenal job, as you always do. I know that you and I are both big tennis fans, but you actually were in the bubble at World Team Tennis, so I figured it might be interesting to get your insight to let people know what is it like living in a proverbial bubble. 
Yeah, you know, it's, it's crazy, Frank. I, I wasn't sure how I wasn't sure how it was going to be. I mean, obviously, you know, Carlos Silva, who's the the CEO of World Team Tennis, the man's a, the man's a visionary. He, he, he's he's the kind of guy, and I've I've known him for uh, thirteen years. He's the kind of guy that off and on will always figure out a way to get it done. And he truthfully came up with the best, most safest, most entertaining way to do it. And you know, he made the choice to go to the Greenbrier, which is um, America's resort in, in West Virginia. And it's, if you've never been there, you've never heard of it. I mean, this place is, it's unbelievable. It's like you step back in time and you still have all the amenities and all the entertainment and all the enjoyment that you would expect to have at a, at a, at a resort. I mean, it's a five-star resort. So first and foremost, the accommodations were fantastic. Um there's something like 55 different activities that you could do on the grounds, including three different 18-hole golf courses. So we were all tested before we left for the Greenbrier and got on our respective flights. Uh, everybody that was involved, from players to physios to coaches to broadcasters to television crew. And then as soon as we landed uh, in West Virginia, in Lewisburg, uh, we were taken right to a clinic and given another uh, COVID-19 test. And then we were we had to stay isolated until the results came back from that test. And then once that came back, we were obviously inside the bubble. And then, you know, we had another uh, round of testing um, later on in it as well. But the bubble life was, it wasn't that, it wasn't that bad. I I think, I I think for the folks that are in the NHL bubble and uh, you know, they're in good shape too. I think they've, they've got, you know, obviously wonderful food and they've got enough things to keep them entertained and, uh, I, I loved Pete DeBoer's comment the other day. You got all the hockey you can watch and all the beer you can drink. And for me, that's perfect. Like, I'd be cool with that. But I, I don't think it takes it takes a little bit of getting used to, but it's by no means a stressful situation. Not not at any point that I feel cooped up. Not at any point that I feel like, get me out of here. Um, in fact, there was a lot of time when I was like, I, I could stay here a little longer and keep doing this. <laughs> No, you mentioned the fact that there wasn't any point that you reached that, but could you see if you had to stay another week, two weeks, a month or something like that, that at some point maybe it would get a little bit more tedious and you might go a little bit stir-crazy because whoever wins in the NBA, the WNBA, and certainly the NHL, whoever hoists those uh, trophies at the end of the season, they're going to be there a long time. They've already been there a while, and they've got a long road to go. Yeah, maybe. Um, you know, I, I, I know that I, I don't feel like I would be in that spot. Um, my situation's a little different though. I'm, I'm single. I don't have any kids. So I don't have that, I don't have that draw to get back home and, and see my wife and kids, uh, which a lot of these guys will have for sure. Um, but then, you know, I come from a military family. Um, you know, my, my father was, in the military, my brother's a Marine, my grandpa, my uncle. So, you know, I'm used to watching people who are close to me go away for, for six months and, you know, have to have that maybe not bubble isolation, but they're, they're certainly not in the most uh, comfortable of situations when they're deployed or overseas. So I guess I kind of always looked at it that way. I would, I would have a lot of trouble uh, complaining about um, being in a situation like that, getting to do whatever it is I wanted to do, whether I was broadcasting or playing a sport. I think I would catch a little bit of flack from my uh, from my from my uh, from my military family if I complained about uh, being in a situation like that for an extended period of time. 
Nick Gizmonda joining us, T.C. Martin Show. Check it out, tcmartinshow.com. All the podcasts, lots of great pictures, stories, lots of good stuff there at tcmartinshow.com. All right, Nick, so we talked a little bit about the bubble because I wanted to get your insight into it because you're one of the few people I know that actually did reside (laughs) in the bubble, like I say, at World Team Tennis. And um, now let's talk a little bit of hockey. And one of the reasons I wanted to get you on, just besides the fact that you're incredibly knowledgeable and just a great guy overall to begin with, but working with the Blackhawks this year, you got to know Robin Leonard fairly well. Where's Robin Leonard now with the Vegas Golden Knights? And uh, at first, a lot of people were very excited about Leonard coming here. In fact, I think a lot of people still are very excited about Leonard coming here. And they thought that they had a really good backup goaltender. Pete DeBoer is the coach of the team. He basically said, well, we don't know who the backup goaltender is here yet. It's an open competition. It appears that in DeBoer's mind that Robin Leonard has beat out Marc-Andre Fleury, at least that's the way it looks when you're going into the playoffs. That's a rotating games. Leonard has got the bulk of the work since they have been in the bubble and the playoff rounds have begun now. And then the other day, Marc-Andre Fleury's agent sends out a tweet with Flower going down to make a save with a big sword that looks eerily um, similar to the one that they pull out of the stone before they have the games at T-Mobile Arena with the Vegas Golden Knights, and there's blood on the front of the sword, and on the back it says DeBoer. So all of a sudden, there's a bit of a a goalie controversy instead of the old, oh, we got the best goalie tandem, and they're just going to rotate every game. Well, we've all been watching hockey a long time, Nick. You and I, Quake here as well, TC. Um, It's very rare, in fact, I can't remember it ever being done where there's actually a goalie rotation is the plan to try to win a Stanley Cup. Yeah, I don't think that is the plan. And I know Pete DeBoer very, very well. I've, I've known Pete for 23 years. Uh, um, Pete was one of my first bosses when he was the head coach of the Plymouth Whalers in the Ontario Hockey League, and I was their broadcaster back in the 90s. Um, and I'll tell you, I know Pete and I know Spotter very well. Pete's a winner. Pete wants to find a way to win hockey games. So whatever Pete deems to be the way to win that game is what Pete's going to do. Um, you know, you live and die by your team in the playoffs in terms of the goaltending. And you've got to go with whoever the hot hand is and whoever is playing with the, the confidence and whoever is playing with the numbers. And when you take a look at a guy like Robin Leonard and Marc-Andre Fleury, you have the best of both worlds. You have two world-class goaltenders there. Um, I'm personally a very massive fan of both of them. I mean, I, I worked with obviously Mark Andre for for two years in Vegas, and he is the um, poster boy for everything you'd want in a human being and a hockey player. He works hard. He's affable. Um, he's the nicest guy. Talented um, beyond words. And then Robin Leonard's the same thing. There's a lot of high compete in these guys. Uh, you know, Robin was one of my first and became one of my closest pals in Chicago while he was there. We were both the new guys this season. And, you know, I was really sad to see Robin go because, A, he's super talented, but, B, he's also a fantastic human being. So I think what, what you have in goaltenders is, is that you, you, they want to play. They don't want to flip games. They, they want to get into a groove. They want to feel the momentum. Um, and for whatever reason, Pete DeBoer has decided that Robin Leonard's his guy, and obviously that's, Paying off for y'all right now. You you've looked very good in this in this postseason, and um, there's zero reason to change that at the moment. Um, Mark Andre Fleury, I think, you know, there may be a controversy on the front side of things, but I think inside the locker room, everybody's fine. There's not an issue there. Um, 
And listen, if something happens and if, if Robin Leonard isn't playing well or if he has a, a couple of stumbles, well, then you're going to put Marc-Andre Fleury in. And if Marc-Andre plays exceptional, well, they're going to just keep riding him until that stumble happens, and then they'll go back the other way. But I see no reason why, nor do I think they should, flip-flop a goalie every other game. If you've got a goalie, he's got a hot hand in the playoffs, you run with him. And, you know, I saw the picture that Allen um, tweeted out, and listen, I, I I get it. It's a little, it's a little jarring, um, but... <laughs> Personally, I want my agent to be that passionate about me. Like, I want my agent, your agent, anybody's agent, that's your partner, that's your guy, that's the one who's supposed to be fighting for you. That's the one that's going to jump out in front or run through the fire and, and try to help you out. So I, I don't know as though it was the right approach, but I, I, I can't, I can't uh, fault Alan for being passionate about his client and friend. No, I agree with you there. And the other thing, too, is, you know, when, when some people are talking about, because, you know, out here there's, you know, obviously it's been the big story in a, in a lot of people's mind. It's been sports talk fodder for all the shows on all the various stations all around town and that. And, you know, people are now questioning, well, Marc-Andre Fleury, you know, we thought that he was the consummate professional and, you know, the glue in the locker room and with what he did in Pittsburgh and that. But, you know, when all is said and done, I think one of the most important things you brought up there was, Every goaltender wants to start. Nobody wants to be the backup yeah. goaltender. You want to hoist you the Stanley Cup, but you want to be a part of hoisting that Stanley Cup there. I wouldn't want a goalie that didn't want to be the starter there. So I don't I don't blame Mark Andre Fleury for wanting to start. But again, when Pete DeBoer came in here, he came in here with no allegiances. He had no favorites or whatever. Like you said, he's going to try to play the goalie or whatever player gives him the best chance to win. Uh, when he first came in here, Nick Haig scored a, a goal for him. He mentioned that he knew Haig. Well, now it's Zach Whitecloud that's in the lineup as one of the young defensemen, and Haig isn't playing. So Pete DeBoer has every move he's made basically been saying, you know what? I'm going to do what I need to do because I'm here for one reason. I'm here to try to win a Stanley Cup. And he has brought a couple teams in his first seasons that he's been with them to the Stanley Cup final. Hasn't hoisted it yet, but he's got a pretty good track record. And I really thought maybe a little bit of the writing was even on the wall for Flower when you look back. And, of course, they say hindsight's twenty twenty. But when they let Dave Pryor go... Maybe that Dave Pryor wasn't a goalie coach that they thought could work with Leonard as well because he loves the athletic goalies. We know he loved Flower. We know that he was a big fan of Malcolm Subban. It seemed to me at that point there, and again, I'm looking at it in the rearview mirror, but it kind of looks then that they were trying to get somebody that maybe would, would coexist and help out with Leonard a little bit more and help improve his game. Yeah, and I don't, you know, every, obviously everybody can improve, but Robin Leonard is a first-rate goaltender. Um, you know, and that's one of the reasons why they made that change in Chicago, because you've also got Corey Crawford, who's a, a two-time Stanley Cup champion, a rock star goaltender. And the Blackhawks were forced or faced with this decision to rotate the two of them. And, and, and that's what the Hawks tried to do. You, you'd see, you'd basically see in almost in every other game rotation between Crawford and Leonard. And neither of those guys wants that. You know, the, you want a goalie. You want your, your guys, your leaders to be the ones that are like, give me the ball. Like, I want the ball. I want to play. Um, and I think that's the character, especially amongst goaltenders. Uh, and, 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 and that was part of the reason why, you know, Leonard was, was moved out of, um, uh, Chicago, and and I think it's part of the reason why also the Vegas Golden Knights m- made the decision that they made because they they felt that long term maybe they needed a guy that 
um, was was different, or maybe they needed to change the scenery, or, or or who knows what the what the behind the scenes there was. But um, you guys are in a good spot right now, and I think that's the one thing that <laughs> the fans need to to realize. You got you got two amazing goaltenders. If if one guy goes down, you got another one waiting in the wings. Whereas you look at a Colorado Avalanche, well, they lost their main guy Grubauer, and they got Francois in there now. And if you know they're struggling a little bit against the Dallas Stars, and if if Franco goes down, well, you're in you're in a lot of trouble. So um, you know, for for the Vegas Golden Knights, if if Leonard falters, Mark Andre Fleury steps in, and Leonard gets a breather, and if you know Mark Andre Fleury then starts to falter, you're right back to Leonard. So you basically got two number one goalies right now, which is an absolute luxury in the Stanley Cup playoffs. Yeah, and when you're talking about that, too, and you touched on a lot of different points there, but I agree with you. You want that goaltending tandem because you don't know what's going to happen. Uh, I'm sure that in Boston, when they first heard out that Tuka Rask was going to leave the team, a lot of the fans freaked out. I don't think the front office did because they knew how good Halak is as a backup because he's not really a backup. He's a starter on a lot of teams out there. You mentioned Dallas, who Bowden comes in, and some pe- I mean, he had a, some pretty good games. We know that Ben Bishop has had a hard time staying healthy, but backup goaltender frequently are a big part of winning a Stanley Cup. Marc-Andre Fleury's last cup in Pittsburgh. Matt Murray was on the ice for the end, but he was injured at the start of it. Fleury was in there. You mentioned Crawford in Chicago with his two Stanley Cups. That first round against Nashville that one year, he couldn't stop anything. They put in Scott Darling. Crawford found his game, and eventually, once he got in and refound his game, he was on a roll, and he played absolutely sensational. But you want the two goalies, but like we said, you don't want to do it in a tandem like that. And Robin Leonard's in an interesting situation right now. He seems like such an incredibly nice guy. He seems like he's got a head, his head on right. He wants to do stuff like you mentioned. Positionally, he's an incredible goalie. He might not make those saves like Fleury does, but he's a big guy. He knows how to position himself. He absorbs the shot so he doesn't give up a lot of big rebounds. And yet, he's a Vesna finalist two years ago. He could be hoist, or, or, or actually a year ago. He could be hoisting the Stanley Cup this year. And at the end of the season... As crazy as this sounds, but it shows the world we're in today and how sports work sometimes, he could find himself playing for his fourth team in three years at the end of a Vesna Trophy finalist and hoisting a cup. Well, that would be a mistake. I think that uh, I don't think that Robin Leonard needs to continue to move around. This is a gem of a human being, and he's a rock star goaltender. And I'm saying that professionally and personally. I, I'm a big fan of his. I, I, I commend him for everything that he has done, the way that he has done it. He's been very upfront. He has um, been very honest about his mental health. He's been very honest about absolutely everything, and the proof has truthfully been in the pudding in the way that he's performed and the way that he's played. Um, you know, in a world that we live in right now where we put such a fine point on people and personalities and, you know, who they are and, and 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 what they are. Robin Leonard is a shining example of a guy that has just stood out there and said, "Hey, this is who I am. This is this is me. This is what I went through. This is what I dealt with. But this is who I am." And then he steps onto the ice and he proves it in between the pipes. So, yeah, I, I hope that he doesn't bounce around. I know you know that Robin doesn't want to keep bouncing around, but Robin deserves a long term contract and he deserves to. You know, he deserves to get what he wants because he's earned it. And, you know, nowadays I think earning it goes a long way. So um, you got a great goalie there in him. And, 
You know, Chicago knew that about him too, but Chicago also has a fantastic goalie and a fantastic human being in Corey Crawford. And because of cap and because of other things, you can't keep both guys. So, you know, they, they went the loyalty route and stuck with Corey Crawford, who, who they've had for many years. But, you know, maybe this is an opportunity for, for Robin to, to, to find a long-term home. And, you know, I hope so because, uh, like I said, he, he deserves it. But, man, oh, man, he is the person that you think he is, and he is the person um, that he portrays himself as. Uh, there, there is one thing about Robin that you, you, he's very, very honest, sometimes brutally honest. And, and uh, that's a good thing in a lot of situations. So I think you're getting that from him right now. What you see is definitely what you get. Yeah, no, I, I definitely like him. I've been impressed by his play on the ice, and like you said, the person he is off the ice. So I'd like to see him stay he's here. Funny we, too. Yeah, we, we yeah we we don't know exactly what's gonna. Well, yeah, he's a must follow on Twitter. If you if 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 you don't follow he's him and a you're a hockey fan, on Twitter. yeah, if if you're not following him and you're a hockey fan, yeah, you're probably doing something wrong there. Um, okay, when it comes to the Vegas Golden Knights, because I do want to touch on tennis real quick here with you too, and I appreciate the time, Nick. Yeah. But um. Yeah. When it comes to Vegas right now, a lot of people have them as the favorite to win the Stanley Cup. And it's rightfully so. I mean, I don't think this controversy means that much because this is a veteran team. There's a no. lot of leaders there. Mark andre Fleury is such a likable guy. And quite honestly, as crazy it is, 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 is right now being in the bubble, I think that might be advantageous for this team because they don't have to go out and see the media and the fans and everybody every day. They can do their little Zoom calls and then go on and just be a team and do what they do. But... When you look at Vegas, do you make them the favorite? And who do you think is the biggest opponent or the potential uh, foe that could stop them from hoisting the cup this year? Well, uh, yeah, I mean, they're good. Uh, obviously, firing on all cylinders, world-class team. You're four lines deep. Ryan Reeves doing Ryan Reeves things, and, and that is just so huge. Yeah, I mean, you can just tell he's already gotten under the skin of um, of everybody else that's played against him. I loved that last game. I love, I don't want to call him antics, but the way that he plays and the intimidation factor that he brings, I mean, you want a Ryan Reeves on your team. Um, so, yeah, no, Vegas looks fantastic. Uh, There's certainly, in my opinion, I thought it was going to come down to an absolute battle between them and the Avalanche in the Western Conference Final. Um, and I thought that would be a really good clash of, of offenses because what you see from, what you see from Colorado as well as, you know, their power play is just deadly. But the injury to Grubauer and the way that they've responded to Dallas here in these first two games sort of for me doesn't even maybe even have the avalanche getting out of this, getting out of the second round. So that certainly clears a path, at least my mind through the Western Conference for, for Vegas, we'll see how they match up against whoever comes out of the East. Um, I, I don't know. Like, I, I think there are some – the Boston Bruins are a really good hockey team right now. Um, so, you know, there's somebody that you for sure need to keep an eye on. Um, there's some other teams that have showed some fortitude on the Eastern side that I think could be very dangerous and deadly. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's hard to look past uh, the Knights at this moment. Um, you know, obviously, you never know what happens, right? Like, in this situation and in the playoffs in general, things change in a heartbeat. Things change in a shot. Things change in a, in a, in a moment. Obviously, we, we saw that in, in Vegas last year with the penalty, uh, you know, in the San Jose debacle. Um, that still gives me nightmares. But then you, you, you think about Colorado. Okay, well, their number one goalie just went down with an injury, you know. 
Obviously, the depth of the Vegas Golden Knights lends me to think that they're going to be just fine. Um, but they just can't take their foot off the pedal. They're going to have to make sure they power through, um, you know, all the way. And then once they see these teams in the East, that'll be the that'll be the big one for me because they haven't seen an Eastern Conference team in a long time, in a long time. Um, you know, they didn't get to play them in exhibition. They didn't really get to see them. They're not seeing them up close and personal in this situation. So. Um, it'll be interesting to see who comes out of the East, but I don't see them having any trouble getting out of the West. Yeah, I still think it'll be very interesting, and I'm not sleeping on the New York Islanders uh, because I think it'll be interesting to see Barry Trotz behind uh, the bench once again against the team that he did beat. Uh, He made those adjustments. Turk didn't necessarily, and the team didn't have answers for them. Would Pete DeBoer have them? I think that would be interesting as well. Like you said, there's storylines no matter how you do it. I do want to touch with you real oh, yeah. quick here because I know you're a big tennis guy and uh, uh, covering the tennis and the U.S. <laughs> Open is going to be played here. I've been watching the matches from Cincinnati and uh, I just love tennis. It is kind of weird seeing uh, them playing in the without the fans just like it is in all the other sports, but it seems like uh, people are adjusting a little bit. But what do you make of the Open this year? Because that's going to be a little bit different as well with uh them living in the bubble and, uh, you know, they're not piping in the sounds and with all the the crowd and that kind of stuff, maybe to the extent that they are in the NBA and the NHL and different things out there. But there's been a couple tournaments now, and it seems like the players are getting a little bit more comfortable or at least used to playing in that situation. Yeah, sure. Well, a lot of them warmed up with World Team Tennis, right? I mean, you've got so yep. many great players that were at the World Team Tennis season in the Greenbrier. <laughs> And you're seeing them do well. They, they've got a bit of a jump on everybody else because there's playing tennis and there's knocking the ball around. And then there's playing competitive tennis and competitive matches that have weight and have meaning and have somebody on the other side of the net that's putting it, putting it back in your face. So I love to see um, some of the stars that we had at World Team Tennis doing so well. And they're looking forward to, to, to the U.S. Open. But... I think that the bubble situation for a lot of them is going to potentially be a sticking point because you have a lot of those athletes who, A, haven't been used to it yet and they're getting thrown right into it. And then, B, obviously the bubble in New York and the hotel that they're at, they don't have the freedom that the players in Orlando for the NBA and uh, in Toronto and Edmonton for the NHL and even – the players that were in West Virginia, the Greenbrier, it's a very different bubble. <laughs> um, and that, that's going to feel a little bit more locked down. Um, you know, I'm even hearing some things out of there that they're, they're, they're tracking and monitoring um, and making sure that players aren't gathering in large groups and things like that. So I feel like that, you know, the USTA is, is, is doing everything they can to make sure that they keep it as safe as they can, but it's going to feel a little bit tighter um, than any of them are used to. And that for sure could impact, um, you know, the mental side of their game, uh, which, as you know, in tennis p- plays a huge part. Is there a number one player right now in women's tennis? Because Serena was number one for so many years, and on the men's side we've had the three same guys dominating for, it seems like, the last 15 years. It's probably been at least a decade with, of course, Federer, Nadal, and Djokovic out there. But on the women's side, outside of Serena, it seems like we keep on having somebody that looks really good for a tournament and they bounce down a little bit. I mean, Sophia Kennan actually just won the last major. Uh, I'm a big fan of hers. Osaka's got a lot of talent. Simona Halep. I mean, you have names that come come and go in and out here, but um, it, it seems like for whatever reason that uh, 
when it comes to the women, nobody has that sustainability or hasn't sent Serena anyhow. And, of course, Serena's still potentially the, the best player out there on the planet as well, get, if she's 100% healthy in that. But why is it that with the women, it seems like they kind of bounce up and down a little bit and somebody doesn't have that sustainability to just take the grasp of the crown and hold on to it for a long time? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, God, Serena is just such a different athlete. She's incredible across all assets, and it's not in just it's not in just her physical preparation. It's her mental prep. It's her approach to the game. It's what she does away from the court and the training. So I don't know. Uh, you know, maybe it's that, that that commitment just isn't there yet. But you know, I, I got I got. I got to spend a lot of time watching Sophia play at World Team Tennis. Sophia Kennan was there playing for the, the Philly Freedoms, and, you know, she played, you know, a, on a, an incredibly talented team that had Taylor Townsend on it as well, too. So, um, but, gosh, I love the way Sophia plays. She's got so much passion. She's got so much energy. She's got so much dedication. And, and her laser focus, too, is is unbelievable. Like, I watch her pre-match. I watch her in her downtime and she was just just so dialed in so who knows i mean you, you, like you said she won the last uh she she won the last slam and that was the uh that was the australian back in you know right before all this kind of sort of shut down so i would keep an eye on her uh you know is she is she going to be the new number one i i don't know i think it's a little too soon to tell she's super young but um for me she shows a ton of promise um She's so dedicated to it, and uh, I just I just think that the way that Kennan plays and the way that she approaches things r- reminds me a lot about the way uh, that that Serena sort of does. So who knows? Uh, that 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 could be a model for her, and um, I, I definitely wouldn't sleep on Kennan. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. I, I, I like Kennan's game. I actually saw her when she was, I think she was 17 years old out here at the Red Rock Open when they used to play the tournament out here. She made it to the finals. Yeah. And I told a lot of people, watch this girl because of her tenacity. Yeah. It's funny because every time I see her father in the crowd, I remember him walking around there, and I actually uh, spoke with him a little bit about his daughter in that uh, <laughs> during that tournament there. So I've had my eye on her for quite some time. But I think she's an amazing talent. I still think Naomi Osaka might have the most talent of any of the youngsters out there. But I've I also follow her on Twitter and, and social media a little bit, and I see some of the stuff, and she's modeling, and she's doing other stuff, and she's painting, and so I don't know that she's 100% zero-in focused on tennis. Not that that's a bad thing necessarily, but if you want to be number one, it's kind of what it seems like it has to be. I think Kennan is a little bit more. Simona Halep, I've always liked her game. Uh, Pliskova, Kvitova's. I mean, there's so many good women players out there. We'll see how it all plays out, but uh, Nick, I know that uh, we miss you out here. I hope to uh, maybe next year see you at the Orleans again, uh, covering the Rollers if uh, the world gets back to some form of uh, some form of normalcy. And always a pleasure speaking with you. Love the hockey talk and everything else. But uh, like you mentioned about Robin Leonard, not just impressive on the ice and what he does for his job, but also a quality human being. And I feel the same way about you, my friend. Well, thank you very much, Frank. And you know, I uh, you know that's reciprocal to you, my my friend. I miss seeing you this year for tennis and. Uh, I certainly miss everybody out in Vegas and, you know, wish you guys all the best of luck through this run. And, Frank, let's uh, let's do this more often. It's always a pleasure talking to you, my brother. Yeah, definitely. I mean, maybe next time we'll talk about Coco Golf a little bit, too, because certainly one of the up-and-coming stars in the, in the women's tennis world. Hey, always happy to talk about her. I also got to play a little uh, play a little golf with uh, with Vandaway, and I'll tell you what, if she doesn't want to, uh, she doesn't want to make it on the 
in the tennis world, she she could definitely pick up a golf club and uh, and swing it a little bit. Yeah, did she have the same temperament on the golf course as she does on the tennis court? Because I know that gets her in trouble. Up there. <laughs> <laughs> Probably doesn't break clubs like she does rackets, does she? <laughs> she? She does not. No, 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 no. The bag stayed intact for her. Yeah. I, I had a terrible round the other day. I almost snapped a couple clubs. So. <laughs> Huh? But I'm all right. I get. I gotta yeah. just gotta figure my golf you know game what? out. Now. <laughs> you know, it's it's better than putting your fist through a wall and breaking your hand, right? Sometimes you gotta gotta let the emotion <laughs> and the anger out. I think. Where can people find very you, Nick? Point. Where can people follow you? Uh, yeah, I'm, um, my social handle is the same on Twitter and on Instagram. It's just at Nick Gizmondi. So yeah, I'd love to love interacting with everybody. And you know, again, thank you to the uh, to the Vegas fans and the community. You you all have been. You all were so amazing to me while I was there, and you all continue to reach out and say hello and uh, send your wishes, and it it means a lot to me. I see every bit of it, and uh, trust me, it, it it has an impact. I am well, maybe maybe I'll see you up in Hyde Lawn sometime for a game next year too. So <laughs> you uh, you can probably count on that. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Nick Gizmondi joining us here. Thanks again, uh, Nick. Always a great guy uh, talking to him about a variety of sports, but certainly wanted to touch on the hockey and a little bit of tennis as well. When we come back, it is Terrible Tuesday. My friend Ron Frazier is going to join us. You are listening to the T.C. Martin Show. Frank Harnish sitting in. TCMartinShow.com Drop that ghetto blast off! There's more in store around your door and more of what you're looking for with the Dr. T.C. Martin. Welcome back, T.C. Martin Show. Frank Harner sitting in, T.C. off. He will be back tomorrow. Check out all the podcasts and all the other stuff at tcmartinshow.com. And, yes, 45 years ago today, this album was released, Mr. Bruce Springsteen. I was a youngster. I was around, but uh, Bruce Springsteen, born to run, really put him on the map. Changed a lot of people, and uh, Bruce Springsteen, one of the best storytellers in the business of rock and roll. So that is a thing that is not terrible. Another thing not terrible, my good friend Mr. Ron Frazier joining us now. Ron, how are you doing, my friend? I am good, but I, I beg to differ. I think people may say I'm terrible. I don't know. Well, I mean, some might, but, uh, you know, I mean, maybe one NBA, maybe one former NBA player says you're terrible, so I'm not really sure. But um, <laughs> but you know what it is? It is indeed Terrible Tuesday. It's Terrible. Things gone wrong in the sporting world. That's a terrible idea. I want to know what the hell he's smoking. Something stinks in here. That's terrible. <laughs> it's Terrible Tuesday. Things gone wrong in the sporting world. Well, you know, Ron, it is Terrible Tuesday. And it's not only the sporting world, but it's the world in general right now that there's a lot of terrible things going on. And I know you're experiencing one of those today. You are a parent, and that means that your daughter is going to school a little bit differently this year than in times past. And certainly the Clark County School District, apparently with the rest of the country, has had some problems with the computer issues going on right now. Computers crashing, people not signing up, still needing Chromebooks to a lot of the kids out there. In fact, they said they still need to distribute 20,000 of them just here in Clark County for the kids of Clark County School District. And yet, the head of the Clark County School District says, well, there were some problems yesterday, but I give it a B plus. What kind of grading curve is that? <laughs> well, 
if I got that kind of grading curve, I think I could have got a, on an aggregate scale at least a 5.0. I mean, yeah, it's it. My daughter's in the charter school, uh, so they're kind of outside of the purview of the Clark County School District. They listen to some of the stuff they do. They don't have to listen to all the stuff they do. But the problem was uh, because uh, charter schools and private schools lost their exemption, meaning if kids went to school in person and got sick or brought uh, illness home and someone got sick and you know passed away, that they could then sue the school. With that happening... Uh, we were going on a hybrid model. We were going to go two days a week uh, and then would be online learning two days a week. And they were going to clean the school on Wednesday. But it went all online. Last week, most of the charter schools uh, were up and running. And we had we had some problems, but not many problems. But this week with all of Clark County school districts, all the charter schools, the magnet schools uh, going online. Uh, yeah, it's been kind of a disaster. Yeah, I also yeah. heard that that one of the local schools yesterday was like rebooting and revamping their program, and they scheduled to do it on yesterday, the first day of school. Why did they wait so long? Didn't they have months and months to take care of this stuff leading into it? They didn't know there was going to be problems. <laughs> yeah, they did have. You know, the problem with with a lot of this was kind of a, a wait and see approach, because you know, obviously when. Things first went down in March, and, and, and they started shutting down schools. Everybody went to online learning, but it was a little bit different. It was kind of your teacher came in, they gave you the homework assignment, and kids were kind of on their own on how much they wanted to do on one day. Like my daughter would get her homework assignments on Monday, had Friday to com- complete them. By Tuesday, she was pretty much done with everything. And it was like, okay, what am I going to do in the next two or three days? So we were hoping once they decided what they were going to do, if it was going to be a hybrid situation uh, where she was in school some of the times or, or she was online, that you went to class to class to class. And that's happening, but they're just still, with so many people online, you have people who obviously who are unemployed. They have nothing to do but play video games all day, so they're online. You got people working from home online all the students online and you know so it's just a giant mess and um we don't have i mean we have great technology but there's more advanced stuff in other countries like uh europe's uh, wi-fi and bandwidth is much better than ours over here they have bigger bandwidth and faster uh internet time uh so you know they, they do it a little bit better than we do so so much for american exceptionalism All right, well, Clark County School District, get your act together so it's not terrible anymore. All right, well, let's go into the sporting world a little bit, too, because there are some things going on there. Now, Ron, I don't like to get real political, at least not on the air when we're talking about sports. And But you know what? I think everybody has a right to give their opinions and say what they want to do. But what is going on? Did you ever think you would see and live in a world where Dana White... The president of the UFC was going to be speaking at a Republican National Convention. I mean, I get that people have the right to do stuff, and we all know Dana's very opinionated. You know, Michael Jordan used to take a lot of flack for not taking political stands, and he said, well, Republicans and Democrats both buy shoes and Gatorade and everything else I'm pushing out here. What what is going on? What qualifies Dana White to speak at a convention? 
Um, the president's friend. Because <laughs> I see, I think that's all you have to really be is the president's friend, and you get to speak. Hey, the, the funny thing about that, I, I, you know, I have a lot of people on Facebook who are more conservative leaning, uh, more more right leaning uh, friends, and all those people seem to you know, get upset with NBA players and NFL players for taking a political stand. I've not heard one of them say anything about Dana White speaking at the convention. So it, it, the, the economy is, you know, it's very interesting. Um, you know what? I don't really care either way. I, I think both parties, you know, suck the life out of this country and, and have been doing so for a while. So this is kind of par for the course that, you know, Dana White would be involved in the presidential convi- you know, convention. No, I agree I with you. I don't know what that means for any of the fighters, but, you know, it, it's going to be interesting to say the least. No, and that's why I thought I'd bring it up because, again, I don't care who has a view on that kind of stuff, but it's like, what? when did we get down to presidents of sports leagues and that? And I, I, I guess next we'll have rock stars and country stars. And I mean, who knows who's going to speak next? But you know what? It's the world we live in today. But Dana White will be at the uh, Republican National Convention. He has the right to be there. But in my opinion, I don't know what's going on with the world. I think it's kind of a terrible idea, but they don't care what I think. Uh, no, they don't. <laughs> okay, Ron, um, I know that you wanted to bring something up uh, that you think is a little bit uh, maybe terrible going on in the NBA right now. I mean, since we're talking politics and the NBA has made a political stance, and obviously, I mean, it didn't catch much of a firestorm as I know some people wanted it to. Uh, the Luka Doncic Montrez Harrell situation, where he called, um, uh, I don't know if I can even say it on the radio, but Montrez called, you know, Luka uh, a name. Um, it, it started with a B. Um, and ended with, uh, you know, uh, white boy. Okay. (laughs) And and everybody lost their mind. And I was like, "Uh, nothing really to see here. If you heard things that were said on the basketball court all the time, I was kind of a level one insult. Wait wait a second. You're telling me that they're still trash talking and saying stuff on the basketball court? I thought all that was cleaned up now and everything was living in a very harmonious, uh, nice, friendly world. It it is. (laughs) Among friends. I mean, what's all trash talk among friends? But the the, the equivocation was if Luka Doncic would have called him uh, a name, uh, most notably the N-word, then everybody would have lost their mind. And I was like, yeah, but you're equivocating two things that are not really the same. But I thought Luca handled it great. I, you know, Montreal, Montrez apologized, and then Luca dropped a triple-double, 43-17-13, and 13, and the game winner, and, you know, and gave him that look that I said the night before he should do. I said, the best thing, this is really nothing to see, Lucas should go out and drop a 45-point triple-double. I was two points off, and then give him that look. That look is, who's who's what? (laughs) 
Yeah, I can't say the word. Yeah, absolutely, I agree with you. You know, it's like the old days. Uh, we're, we're both old enough to remember when Reggie Jackson played, and whenever a pitcher threw at him, it seemed like he always hit a home run right after that. He didn't charge the mound. He didn't curse at him. He didn't stand and stare at him. The next pitch came in the strike zone. He knocked it out of the park. A triple double. That's a pretty good way to shut somebody up as well. Absolutely, absolutely. So you know that's what he did, and and everybody moves on from there. All right, speaking about moving on, let's move on from here as well. Now, you know, one of the things that some people like, some people don't, is coaches in the various leagues. And we know that when certain coaches do certain things, sometimes they get fined for it. Some people don't like working with difficult coaches. I think, in a way, it makes your job easier because there's always a soundbite around. Well, I don't know if you caught this the other day or not, but John Tortorella... Um, the coach of the Columbus Blue Jackets, he was in a situation where he was speaking with the media. His team had just been eliminated from the playoffs. And John Tortorella basically got up there, answered one question. Then he got a follow-up question asking what life in the bubble was like and how things were going there. And Tortorella said this. On a day-to-day basis just mentally seeing them come back after a pause in times that have been unlike any in, you know, human. You know what, guys? I'm not going to get into the touchy feely stuff and the moral victories and all that. You guys be safe. And that was it. 43 seconds. They ask him life in the bubble. He just gets eliminated four games to one. And he says, you know what? The hell with this. I'm in the bubble. I'm out of here. I'm going to go have a beer. By walking out in the press conference, it costs him 25k. Is that legit? Should he have been fined? They're already eliminated. Does it really matter? <laughs> no, it doesn't. It doesn't really matter. Uh, but you know, the, I can see how the bubble would weigh on people's nerves, and I, I think they should just let him be. All right. So uh, you're, you know, the the one thing, and they always say, "Well, it's going to the NHL, this funder, that funder, whatever else like that." Do you really think they do with that money what they're supposed to do? No. <laughs> Not at all. No. All right. John Tortorella there. $25,000 for basically saying, I'm done with this press conference. I kind of like his, his reasoning for it as well. I'm not going to get into that touchy-feely stuff. This is hockey, man. There's no touchy-feely stuff there. You want a touchy-feely thing? Call Ryan Reeves, and he'll drop his glove, and then they'll touchy-feely you. So, Tortorella, 25K. <laughs> it's terrible Tuesday. I don't think it was all that terrible. It wasn't all that I mean, I guess it's terrible for him being 25K lighter, but it wasn't terrible for me. All right, hey, you know. Something I would say. One thing that we haven't talked about yet that I haven't had a chance to speak with you with on the air, but certainly it's a big story out here. It became terrible news to a lot of Vegas Golden Knights fans. Marc-Andre Fleury's agent sending out the picture, and I'm sure you've seen this, of Marc-Andre Fleury standing in front of the goal, about to make a save, and all of a sudden there's a sword that's eerily familiar to Excalibur that they pull out of the stone before the Golden Knights games. And it is stuck through the back of flour. There's blood on the front of it. Coach Pete DeBoer's name is on the back. It just says DeBoer, but it's certainly no secret of what was going on there. 
So a terrible situation, or what could have been a terrible situation, but in a strange kind of way, because they're in the bubble, and they only have to deal with the media on Zoom calls and then turn off the camera and go about their ways, they're not going to and from the stadiums. And this team is such a veteran team, what could shatter or really fracture another locker room, I think in a strange kind of way, what people think would be a terrible thing on this terrible Tuesday could actually be something that unites the team and makes them play even better. It certainly looked that way in Game 1 against Vancouver with the 4 another victory. Absolutely. I mean, it's something that can galvanize them. And even if we wasn't in COVID and that same thing kind of happened, uh, you know, teams kind of rally around each other when they have to in, in those, those kind of moments. So even with being in the strange bubble in, in that situation, just because you have adversity doesn't mean it fractures the team. It can be, kind of bring everybody more focused in on the task at hand and kind of rallying around one another. You've dealt with agents before. You certainly know with fighters and basketball players and other sports and that kind of stuff. If you had an agent that did something like that, would that be something where you go like, I got to get rid of this guy or something that you kind of go, well, you know, I asked him to take it down now, but in the back of your mind go, that guy's really got my back and that's actually what I want my agent doing for me. And, and, and it all depends. It all depends on, on what you wanted. If that's something that, you know, he wanted to have happen, like, hey, this is what's going on, and I'm not happy in this situation, and he did it kind of at your behest, then uh, then you're going, all right, yeah, you should take it down, but everybody knows exactly how you feel. But if he didn't, and he kind of went out on his own accord and did it, then you might be looking for shopping for a new agent. Yeah, and it, and it kind of seems like he didn't go out on his own accord because um, uh, Fleury mentioned that he's known this guy since he was a teenager. They've been friends for a long, long time. He said he asked him to take it down, but when he was asked about, did you know that this was actually going to be taking place, um, he, he basically just avoided the question and didn't say anything. I don't know if he knew exactly what was going to be posted and tweeted on social media, but you certainly get the feeling that he knew something was going to be tweeted. Plus, this particular agent, Alan Walsh, he, he's known for doing this kind of stuff. I mean, he, he he's very, yeah. you know, upfront, and he always has his, his client what he thinks is his best interest. The one thing that I do question about it is the timing of it, because it is right before Game 1 of the second round that they sent this out. But again, because of all the leaders in that locker room, and if you've ever met Marc-Andre Fleury, it's almost impossible not to like the guy. I think if there's a team that can get through this, especially in this bubble era, I think that it's the Vegas Golden Knights. Oh, absolutely. But what people don't understand and, and uh, you know, what serves as distractions for players, like once you hit the ice, once you hit the court, the cage, the ring, uh, the field, all that stuff goes away. You know, I mean, if you, if you have a misplay, in a, if one of the Golden Knights have a misplay, in an upcoming game, it has nothing to do with that picture. And if it does, then they should be sitting anyway. They're not focused at the task at hand. All right, so that it is, there it is. Terrible Tuesday. T.C. Martin Show, tcmartinshow.com. Of course, T.C. coming back tomorrow. And you can check out all the podcasts and everything else. Frank Harner sitting in for him. My friend Ron Frazier uh, joining me for the Terrible Tuesday segment. All right, let's talk about something that's not terrible. we got a couple minutes left here. Uh, we mentioned the NBA, 
And what's going on in there? I know you're a big NBA fan. What have you thought of the playoffs right now? Is there a team right now that you favor to win it all? Somebody who's looking good? Uh, it, it's funny because our friend Armando, uh, you know Armando very well, he told me today to make sure that I mention that the Lakers channeled the energy of Kobe Bryant in their victory last night. I'm not sure I'm completely buying that, but, um, you know, the Lakers are certainly well, one of the teams to beat, if not the team to beat. It was kind of Mamba Monday, and uh, at one point the score was 24-8, to eight, uh, and all the players did notice that, and obviously uh, it was his 42nd birthday. So uh, people were really geared in, as uh, far as the Lakers are concerned, to make sure that they you know, put in a great effort for the late Kobe Bryant. Um, you know, the Lakers are among the favorites. It was one of the best teams in the league all year year long. Obviously, Milwaukee is right there, net, net, and both of them kind of had a stumble out of the gate, but they're both up 3-1 now and seem like they've righted their ships. And and we'll see Boston is looking good. Uh, there's some teams you just never know in this bubble-type situation uh, where the emotions change uh, of how games are flowing. But right now, you'd have to favor the Lakers in Milwaukee to, to meet in the finals, and, and we'll see with the Clippers. The Clippers were coming in, and many people said, hey, once playoff time comes around, that you know the Clippers will be there. Well, the Clippers have had their own issues, and now they're 2-2 two and two in a dogfight uh, with the Dallas Mavericks, who will be without Christoph Porzingis. So we'll see how, how that plays into the rest of this series. Although I would certainly never want to call a two seed in a uh, in a playoff scenario an underdog, but like you mentioned, everybody seems to be looking at the Lakers and Milwaukee. What about the Toronto Raptors and the season they've been having? They sweep the Brooklyn Nets in the first round of the playoffs there. A lot of people thought that they would have a down year because Kawhi's not around anymore. How good is this team? I mean, as good as Kawhi is in that, um, I don't want to say they're not missing a beat without them, but they're still a pretty impressive basketball club, aren't they? Absolutely, and they played well all year. Pascal has shown that uh, you know he, he's a real good ball player and really starting to blossom. And that team has rallied. Uh, you got to, you know, I know uh, Lowry's uh, got a uh, gimpy ankle right now, so you kind of have to monitor that situation. But you know they're playing ball and uh, they're they're playing well. And it, it's funny because without Kawhi, they can kind of fly up under the radar, and not a lot of people were taking them serious, but. They have a championship swagger. A lot of those dudes are saying, until y'all beat us in four games, we are the defending champs. Is there a sleeper that you like here? If you were going to pick a sleeper pick, who would it be? Wow. Um, It might be Toronto. That would be the sleeper pick. I mean, even though they're the defending champions, they're without Kawhi, who's an MVP caliber player, and everybody knows what he brings to the table. But even, uh, you know, sweeping a a first-round series, everybody's still talking about every other team. Uh, Even though they they, they got the rings. They won the chip last year. All right, and I know we're running out of time here, but real quick, who's the best player in the NBA today? Oh, wow. Uh, Maybe Luka Doncic, the way he's playing. I don't know. (laughs) I don't know. You You can go about 10 different players on any given night. Uh, well, that, oh, there you have it, and I think that's part of the three-point error in that too, because it's really changed the game the way that it's implemented now. But uh, always a pleasure speaking with you. Where can people find you? Uh, I'll, you can come to my Instagram, PhD Athletics. If not, I'll be hanging out at Extreme Couture training people. All right, yeah, and and that's not virtual training. That's actually one-on-one live training still over there at Extreme Couture. I do Ron, that. always a pleasure, I- my friend. <laughs> 
<laughs> Thank you. I do it with a mask on now. All right, there you go. All right, that's going to do it for us, TC Martin Show. TC's back tomorrow. Frank Harnish sitting in. Check it out, tcmartinshow.com.